Judy Kissick and this is the first of two special programmes to mark Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK. If you're listening live on Radio Glamorgan and you're a regular listener to the station, you might recognise me. I can usually be found on a Friday evening at six o'clock on the sports show, All About Sport. If you're listening to the podcast, then do check Radio Glamorgan out. You can find us in all of the usual ways. We're a passionate group of volunteers and our mission is to provide entertainment, information and good company to our listeners. We're on air 24 hours a day, seven days a week and we'd love for you to join us and be part of our community. So consider that an invitation because the theme of this year's Mental Health Awareness Week is loneliness and we want to make sure that you feel included. Any one of us can feel lonely, anytime, anywhere. We can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. Some of us are more at risk than others, but research has shown that millions of us feel lonely, some or all of the time. And long-term loneliness can make us feel anxious, or depressed and have a serious effect on our mental health. Yet while millions of us experience feelings of loneliness, we can still find it hard to talk about. One in five of us hide our feelings of loneliness from others. It can be hard, but there are things we can do for ourselves and for others. Acknowledging we've all been there is a start. And by coming together, we can tackle loneliness. We can also help influence policy, support each other, and help prevent mental health problems. This Mental Health Awareness Week, we want to let everyone living with loneliness know that their mental health matters. And together, we can make change happen. That was a promotional video by the Mental Health Foundation, which was released to mark the theme of this year's Mental Health Week. Loneliness is something most of us will experience in life, and it's something many of us find difficult to talk about. I have to tell you that it was surprisingly hard to get people to talk about that particular aspect of mental health when I approached them to take part in these programmes. I'm not entirely sure why, but as someone who's experienced loneliness over a prolonged period of time will tell you, it can have serious consequences. We all know that you don't need to be alone to experience loneliness. We can experience it in a crowd or in a family. We don't need to be friendless to experience loneliness. It'll be something many of us had to endure as a result of the COVID-19 restrictions. Full disclosure here, I live alone and therefore I spent much of the pandemic without human company. And it was tough, tougher than pretty much anything I'd experienced outside the loss of my loved ones. In these programmes, we'll hear from some other people who know what it's like to feel lonely and or to suffer with their mental health. We'll also have some tips for dealing with difficulties and we'll have some great music, some reflecting the loneliness theme 
and others aimed at helping to lift it. We'll start with one song that falls very much into the latter category. Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon, one of the top 10 songs in Cosmopolitan magazine's 57 happy songs that'll instantly boost your mood. The list was compiled in March of this year and the publication said it wanted to present readers with the best and the cheapest cure for a blah kind of day. And that is blasting feel-good songs that make you want to get up and dance. 
And if you're already in a solid mood and you want to keep the good vibes flowing, then the songs in that list will help you to do that. I hope it kicked us off appropriately because although this programme focuses on mental health, we definitely don't want you to feel that this is going to leave you with a negative vibe. Many of the people we'll hear from have uplifting, positive stories to tell despite their struggles and we'll be signposting some resources at the end of the programmes which might also be useful. You're listening to your award-winning station, Radio Glamorgan. Here for you, all day, every day. Living with a long-term physical illness can often impact mental health. And yet for many with mental health conditions, invisible illnesses can be equally debilitating and often hard to explain, even to those closest to them. Four years ago, Donna received a diagnosis that changed her life and that of her family. But she's worked hard to maintain her positive outlook and to be able to adapt, as she explained to me. In 2018, I was diagnosed with a condition called autoimmune limbic encephalitis. So that involves brain inflammation. So there was an antibody that was basically going rogue in my body and it generally goes for um, a, you know, a, a cancerous tumour, like um, for women, ovarian, for men, um, new testicular, if I'm saying that right. And because I didn't have a tumour, that particular protein antibody then attacked my brain. So that's how I had uh, a manner of you know inflammation, not as bad as what it could have been. And then from there, it's left me with uh, cognitive impairment and um, all sorts of sort of neurological issues. Uh, biggest one being memory, memory loss. How are the medical team that are working with you controlling your condition? So I was having problems that probably would have been attributed to stress and again anxiety. So I took it. I took a while to go to the doctors because I thought, let me just, you know, see what's going on. But things got to the point where I even forgot my son's name. I looked at him and the word boy came out, and I thought, you know what? This is not right. This is a bit different to stress. This is a bit different to doing too much because you know I was working, I was volunteering, I was doing bits and bobs. When things were getting the, the place where I felt I wasn't doing my job right as a youth worker doing educational services, there was things that I couldn't do no more, like spelling. All my adaptions were limited now, and I realized, you know, I need to go to the doctors. I went to the doctors, my GP, and when I went to the GP, I was very lucky because this particular GP, she had, I'm not sure where she got this knowledge and understanding for, but she knew that there was a difference to how I was talking and what I was saying. She knew there was something more more um, brain than, well, mind, if that makes sense. She knew there was something, she, she thought there was something going on because... Where, where I was talking about, like, you know, I'm feeling like this and I'm feeling like that and I'm feeling anxious and anxiety, I just thought straight away I'm going to just be given some some Prozac and, you know, something to lift me up and, and off I go because my mood wasn't low, but I thought they were going to give me something to help with, with, with you know, I thought that's the only thing that we're going to do is give me some medication. But she, luckily enough, my doctor, like I said, she recognised some of the words I was saying and the way I was talking, I was slurring. I was saying things backwards and wrong. She recognised something to where she automatically uh, thought, okay, let's do a, a test. There's a test that she did there, like a mental, something, something. To, I'm not sure what it's called. There's a where you, you check your, it's, it's kind of like a capacity thing where you've got to draw a clock and you've got to like count down from 100 in sevens to zero and those sort of little tests there. And 
what she identified there was that okay no something else is going on so i was sent for a brain scan and from the brain scan uh, ct scan they found that i had uh you know certain problems going on in the brain so that's when i it continued to have investigating investigation so at this stage um you know, you have gaps in between. You know, when you get referred to a neurologist, you know you're going to wait about six months. So in that time, um, that's where the trouble was. So you know, I'm still trying to work. I'm, I'm uh, you know, so I'm still trying to like do everything, but things seem to be getting wrong. And that was the pressure and the stress then, because regardless of my brain playing up, it was causing me to feel, you know, upset because I, I knew that my ability to do things that I could do on an everyday basis was going. Um, but with my medical team, um, once diagnosed, I then started having support from the neuropsychiatry team in Landock Hospital. Fantastic unit. Um, I started going there to have to see a psychologist. I, um, I got a team, I got an occupational therapist. So I've been given the tools and stuff to manage because left being left with the neuro sort of side of things is, is basically obviously there's the physical stuff um you know you have the the nerve pains and things like that but on the level of the neuro side of things is my behavior this is a scary thing for my children and my family to see is my behavior changing and that is the biggest thing would be risky behavior i started lighting fires in my garden um i started going for you know midnight walks by myself um talking to strangers is the biggest thing um when when i felt positive enough to because that's the thing that's why normally at that stage i was getting chaperoned because of my behavior i just crossed the road about overlooking i'm very impulsive money spend money about thinking i give money away go to the cash machine withdraw 50 pounds give it to somebody i've been receptive to care and help and support I haven't felt ashamed of myself in any manner. I haven't felt self-conscious. So, you know, those type of things. I haven't beaten myself up. I've been frustrated with, you know, with things not being how they used to be. But what I've started to do is acknowledge and accept the fact that, you know, I'm never going to be the same again. And <clears throat> all I can do is maintain now is my mental health. I can maintain my happiness. I And what I what's helped me with that was, is having some control. And that's going to a group in the hospital to understand memory loss. So I, I went for 10 weeks to understand why I'm forgetting things. So with that, I'm able to understand tools and coping mechanisms. So I go everywhere with a, with a book and a pen and they say, write notes on your phone, Don, but I've lost the ability to sometimes use technology. I get frustrated. If I if I turn my phone on and I can't get to my notes in time, I've already forgotten what I was going to say or going to write. Um, I get frustrated because I could be sat here next to somebody and I'd be like, I'll ask them, what was I just thinking? And they're like, Don, you didn't say anything. And I'm thinking, damn, I just forgot my thought, but I just needed somebody to tell me what I was thinking. There's all of these silly things that I've had to understand that they can't hear my thoughts, obviously. So how, how are they going to know what I was thinking? So adapting to that stuff, um, repeating myself is the main thing. I can say, I can have a conversation with somebody and say the same thing 10 times. And so what I've done is I've surrounded myself with people who understand and not get sort of, mean about it you know because some people can kind of you know take the mic and and say like oh don you know you keep repeating yourself yeah you've said that six times and that pressure and stress probably would have made me feel like i can't go out it would have kept me away from people and despite all of this you've managed to get yourself another job how did that come about and what are you doing 
I don't know how religious or spiritual you guys are, I'm very spiritual, and I, I kind of asked for something, and it came. I was given a job, you know, a nice little a nice little amount of hours work in mind, 10 hours a week. So it's a nice introduction back in. This is a family-based funeral home. There's only a few of us working here. And if you don't mind me saying, this is Ida Thomas Funerals in the Heath. Um, it's funny because it's like our mental health is their priority. Obviously, working in a funeral home, people might think, you know, you need to have that. But aside all of that, we are very much supported here. And again, a job where your employers understand and support that sometimes I might not be getting to work tomorrow. So that's why we're going to try and access the access to work services because they're really good. So apparently, if I am I'm not able to get into work by car or, or bus, they will get me a taxi. So that's amazing. So I don't have to worry about that. I haven't, I haven't set that up fully yet, but that's what they've been told. And um, with my workplace, because I'm doing the memorials and stuff, I can do a lot of it from home. So I can call up Mark and say, Mark, look, you know, I, I don't feel very well today. And he said, oh, no, it's fine. And just, you know, just log in when you can and you just, just go through, you know, whatever orders or whatever inquiries you have. And just having that element, I just, I wish everybody could feel it. I don't have that, oh, I've got work tomorrow feeling. I got that, I can't wait to go to, go into work tomorrow because I know I'll be having conversations with people, chatting, catching up. And best of all, I know that I can look at Mark or Neil and they know if something's wrong. The other day they said, Donnie, don't seem right today. Um, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, you know, because I always say, yeah, I'm okay, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine. No, Don, to be honest, you know, you know, just chill or go home or do that from home or whatever, you know that. So they're very brilliant. Like I, behind me is like the the, the, the nice little, where all the coffins are and down there is where all this are. And it's so bizarre to work in a place like this, but it just feels so lovely, you know? It feels so like, um, I feel privileged to be in a place like this. So that's what's helped my mental health is gaining fantastic employment with good support um, not plugging uh, our, our our business, but um, yeah, it's a little family funeral home. So it's, I just I just been so lucky and blessed from the minute that I went to the GP to where she recognised that okay, this is not just and I'm saying not just as because it is huge stress and anxiety is massive. But she recognised that there's something else going on, um, and that's where all my blessings come from because, like I said, it could have gone the other route. On air, all day, every day. Broadcasting from the largest hospital in Wales. We are Radio Glamorgan. I won't let 
listening to a Mental Health Awareness Week special here on Radio Glamorgan. I'm Julie Kissick, and before that Whitney Houston classic, I Want to Dance with Somebody, we were hearing Donna's story. In the second part of the interview, I asked her what she did to help maintain her positive attitude and to give her a purpose when much of the life that she knew before her diagnosis looks very different now. I'll tell you what I did. I got a dog. <laughs> when they all went to school and my husband went to work, I needed something to make me get up. Because I was sleeping. I, I go to bed all night, wake up at eight, so see the kids to school, go back to bed. That would have led definitely to depression. That would have led definitely to a feeling of loneliness. But I got a dog. So her name is Sia. Little, little, and I didn't want to get a dog that's going to be too fit because I'm really lazy. So I got, a, I got a British bulldog so that she wouldn't want to have too much walks. But the plan was get a dog so that my, my, my husband, he's not a dog person at all, but he, he saw that, okay, this is therapy. So I get up in the morning, take Sia for a walk around the block if I'm able to. Then I get to say, hello, good morning to people as I go around. Come home, feed her, and then, you know, fast, fast, and then I'd go to sleep because I'd have fatigue and stuff. But then i wake up and, you know, you've got a little dog catching on top of you. So the dog stopped me from feeling lonely. Um, Besides, you know, okay, friends and people were there, but when I'm by myself, um, yeah, I have her. And, you know, so, and she pushes me to do things. You know, I have to feed her, I have to walk her. Well, she, well you know, we look at each other, should we go, should we go walk on her? And sometimes she doesn't <laughs> want to go, which suits me. And sometimes I'll be dragging her out, um, but the sort of suits her. So um, I have that lovely relationship with my dog. I consider her a therapy dog. Um, I was considering cashing a bus the other day, but I chickened out. Apparently, you can take dogs on the bus. I'm just, oh, I chickened out, I chickened out. But um, I want to be one of those people with my dog by my side the whole time. I should have picked a little chihuahua, but I picked a big fat bulldog, so I can't I can't carry her everywhere. So um, what's helped my loneliness is is getting my own little therapy dog. And she's mine. Um, she knows when I'm upset. She knows when I'm feeling sad. You know, you get that sort of relationship with, with, with that pet. People have cats, people have plants. But I think getting something to help you um, give you reason to do something. That's what I have to do. When, when all things are taken away from me, I have to find a reason to do to carry on. And that was getting the dog. Because my kids are all older, they didn't really need well need me anymore uh, to do the things I did. You know, so yeah, I don't. I mean, there's no school run when the kids are in high school, so there was no need for any of that. Um, I had problems cooking uh, because I was burning myself and being clumsy. So those things were taken away from me as well. But it was here. All I had to do was open up a tin of food and feed her. So I still felt I was, you know, sort of, I had things to do, even though I, I didn't have anything to do. You know, I give myself that thing to do. Because I think one of the issues with long-term illness is that that people almost feel as though they're they're redundant, don't they? I mean, that's that's pretty much what you've described. Nobody really needs them, or they're not able to do what they used to do, and therefore that can affect your mental health very significantly, can't it? I just felt like everything was a loss. I was losing everything. I felt like I was losing my job. I I was losing obviously my friends because I wasn't seeing them so much. Um, I was losing, I felt like I was out of control and that was the biggest problem um, and that was the scariest part um, is feeling like I've lost everything and I think the loss is what kind of leads to the loneliness it leads to you know yourself you know disbelief and feeling fed up the biggest thing I, I'd have would, would be um, confusion as well because people would tell me what I've done and said and I, I'd, have, I'd have no memory of it and I, I the biggest problem is trust 
because with my memory-based problems, I can be told that, yes, ma'am, you did say I can go to that, or yes, ma'am, you did say I could have this £10 note, and I can't remember it at all, and I'm looking for £10 in my purse, thinking, God, someone's just stole money from my purse. My son will say, no, ma'am, you give it to me. I have to trust him, because I, it's, when I say no memory of it, it mean, like, it's like no memory of it, not even like a bit of it on the on the tip on the tip of your brain none i can't i can't even see the conversation from the heart of the heath serving the university hospital of wales st david's hospital and the cardiff royal infirmary too we are radio glamorgan Hello, I'm Julie Kissick and I'm here on Radio Glamorgan bringing you the first of two special programmes to mark Mental Health Awareness Week. Before the break, we heard from Donna, a mother of three who was diagnosed with a brain injury four years ago. She told us about her condition and its consequences and what she's done to adapt to a new way of life and work. Here she tells us more about the things that help bring her positivity and acceptance despite her condition and she also talks about the importance of trust in her relationship. And I, luckily I do trust my family, I do trust my friends um, but I know that if I didn't have that that would lead to probably a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, waking up not knowing who you can trust, who's telling the truth, you know, those kind of things would lead to proper proper sadness with me and 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 just scary frightening you know when you don't know you know did i say that what what my behavior do those things are frightening so there is not being able to control elements of the condition um it's been the problem especially it being long term is that uh feeling that you're not going to get better tomorrow like when you've got a headache and you you feel like okay might last a day or two and then it goes this is like an ongoing headache that you just have continuously and the only thing you can do to to do to do is to adapt you have to adapt to you know the limitations the things i can do i think i can't do if i'm too tired to do something i'm not going to do something and not feel sad about it that's what i've been able to do is to learn to not beat myself up not learn to because the biggest thing is because you've got to be careful what you say to yourself because you know you, you listen you're listening to yourself you know, different when you say things to people, you might forget what you said, but when you say it to yourself, you listen. Well, I do anyway. Um, I listen to myself. So when, when bad thoughts and things would trickle in, it would affect me physically. I wouldn't get up, I wouldn't eat, wouldn't sleep, or I would sleep forever. Those kind of things. Can't focus on TV programs, not interested in gossip from my sister, even that's not me. <laughs> I wouldn't be interested. I'd be like, do you know what? I don't care. Those things were like what people say, oh, Don is in a mood. Look, she's in a mood. No, I'm not in a mood. I'm just confused, anxious, frustrated, sad, lonely. You know, all of it. And they'll just say, oh, she's stressed. No, she's stress is huge. And when I feel stressed, my behavior is just basically like that, where you'll drop things, forget things, be clumsy, because you're just stressed. You can't think straight. So that's the problem is, is when things cause you to not be able to think straight. Um, and that's, you know, that is a, a mind thing. Besides then having a good support network around you and people who uh, who, who care about you and are, I, I guess, adapting at the same time as you and having your dog, 
Um, what else has been good for you? Gaining pleasure from things like um, you know music and TV become difficult. It's getting better now, much better now, um, to the point where I think I'm ready to maybe get back into doing radio or <clears throat> things. I mean, like I said, I doing little vlogs and YouTube things has kept me going. To be honest, talking, 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 talking. That's what's helped me with my communication, at least. Um, with my memory, sometimes I need to stop talking and listen a bit more. Um, oh, what I have learned is that with memories, it's basically about paying attention. You can't forget what you haven't learned, you know? So that was a penny drop. That's what I got from that group. See, I've learned so much. And those things stick with you and you use it as a coping mechanism. I'm going to pay attention because that's the only way I remember something. So attention to detail. Um, so within my new job workplace, funny enough, I'm, I'm sort of trying my hardest to kind of you know get the penny to drop. It hasn't yet. I'm still every day asking what I got to do or bits and bobs and having the patience. They got a patience sort of saint here because I love it. I love it. I've been here, I just love it. Been here since February and I think it saved my life. I think um, I think it saved my life. I had the privilege of teaching Donna when she was an undergraduate student at the then University of Glamorgan. And she was a determined and focused character at that time. And as you heard, nothing has changed, although everything has changed. She's a real force of nature, even now, despite her condition and the limitation it brings. And I'm really grateful to Donna for sharing her story so candidly with us. You're listening to your award-winning station, Radio Glamorgan. Here for you, all day, every day. There's nobody like me. Nobody like me. Sometimes I felt like nobody likes me. I've got two sides, feels like two lives. I don't think anyone's loved both of them like me. I live with bipolar. Bipolar is my G. After 15 years, I was diagnosed with it, finally. I blacked out. Episodes turned into seasons. I didn't want to be here. I couldn't find a reason until I found a reason. I never thought that I could find the strength in my weakness. It took seeing low points to realise how strong I am. It took looking back to see just how long I ran. Caribbean home, they loved me, but they didn't understand. I'd be lying if I said I didn't struggle, man. But I'm so lucky I've been held by the most loving hands. I didn't want to be here, but life had some other plans. Because there's nobody like me. There's a really important message for all of us in that promotional video, which was produced by the mental health charity Mind. As part of its contribution to Mental Health Awareness Week, it's using spoken word to show the different ways people talk about their experiences of mental health. Mind also offers extensive support on its website, mind.org.uk. They run a confidential information line where an advisor is available to speak to anyone who contacts them. And they have local independent charities working across Wales and England, including Mind Cymru. Mind also offers a supportive online community called Side by Side. And you can find out all the details on their website. On air, all day, every day. Broadcasting from the largest hospital in Wales. We are Radio Glamorgan. Time for some more music now. And I mentioned the Cosmo compilation of upbeat songs earlier. And in the number one spot is Mark Ronson's Valerie featuring Amy Winehouse a talented young woman who we lost in 2011. She was a gifted singer-songwriter with a complex life. 
great achievements and deep relationships on the one hand and struggles with mental health, drugs and alcohol on the other. Reminder that you're listening to a special programme about mental health to mark Mental Health Awareness Week. 
Post the various COVID-related lockdowns and the restrictions on our liberties over the last couple of years, this week seems even more significant than usual. It's a time to reflect on our own mental health and to potentially seek out resources and support if we need them. Mental health is something that we all have and we all experience, but we haven't always spoken about it like that. The reality is that whatever terms we use and whatever importance we give it, looking after our mental health is as important as looking after our physical health. And my next guest is Fionn. She's a civil servant. She's also a mother of two boys, aged 10 and 5, and is someone who's experienced a number of mental health issues during her life. She agreed to share her story, and I started by asking her how she would describe her mental health issues. I've had real challenges with anxiety in particular. Something that I feel quite passionate about at the moment is the way in which it is handled and the way in which it's... And when I say handled, I mean in terms of uh, medical intervention. I feel like one of the barriers to my own ability to handle anxiety and um, and the way in which I, I dealt with it um, was hindered by medical intervention. So rather than go down a kind of medicated route, um, I think there needs to be a real, real focus on why people feel anxiety. Also, an understanding of anxiety is a completely normal part. You know, it's a a completely normal response to some things. And I think we live in a society where maybe we just don't tolerate it. We think that we shouldn't feel anything negative. But also, um, the way in which I've been able to overcome it, and, and I say that, you know, I still, as does everybody, suffer from anxiety. But rather than try and push it away and not, not feeling that I just try and embrace it and understand that it's okay uh, and not be scared of it and then try also try and kind of understand where it's coming from rather than try and fight it all the time. The theme of this year's Mental Health Awareness Week is loneliness. Would you say as someone who's experienced a lot of negative mental health if that's the right way to explain it that you've experienced loneliness as a result of that absolutely i think it is the overwhelming one of the overwhelming feelings with any kind of perceived negative mental health challenge is the feeling of being isolated which is the most lonely place you can be really horribly isolated I've done programmes about mental health before and people are generally okay to talk about it and and sometimes quite keen. I've approached a number of people who, over the lockdown situation, perhaps talked on their social media about feeling lonely, feeling isolated. I've asked them whether they'd be willing to talk about it and you are one of only two people who's agreed to do that and I've approached at least a dozen people. I found that really surprising. I mean, loneliness isn't something that you would 
necessarily think is a mental health issue. So it's not anxiety, it's not bipolar, it's not depression. I found the lockdown experience and the loneliness that came with it incredibly challenging and very detrimental to my own mental health. And I wonder why it's been so difficult to get people to talk about it. I'm not surprised. And I have to say, when I first got your message, I listened to your message and my uh, my initial reaction was, oh, that'd be great. And then my secondary reaction to that was, do I want to expose myself in that way? And um, I think my take on that is that people identify or feel a lot of shame around it and feel like if they admit they're lonely that that people will judge them in some way and I say that having you know knowing what my kind of internal thoughts were around that judgment of other people and worrying about people thinking a certain thing of me I think especially as a single single person yeah it's interesting it's very interesting not surprising at all though. And what do you think we need to be able to do to to be perhaps more aware of the stigma but also to to help ourselves and to help others to overcome it? I think initially like really it starts with with you because um, you have to be able to get over that kind of worry about judgment. It is obviously it's important for us for there to be support around speaking openly uh, and encouragement but actually I think the thing that encourages that the most is when other people see people standing up and being vulnerable and brave and honest I think that 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 is the thing that encourages people to do it when you see other and you go oh right okay okay well it's not and it and it and it starts to delay that uh, the thought process in your mind when you're judging yourself and, and ultimately then ending up judging other people because because of things that are ingrained in your, your brain, you know. Um, yeah, I think I think that is the, I think that's the first the first thing that needs to be done is for, for people to allow themselves to be a bit more vulnerable and open. From the heart of the Heath, serving the University Hospital of Wales, St David's Hospital and the Cardiff Royal Infirmary too, we are Radio Glamorgan. And I think we've gone a reasonable way in normalising mental health in the more recent years, certainly from from sort of 20 years ago when I started having conversations with with students about mental health. I mean, they were quite alien conversations, if I'm being honest, to me, because I come from a generation that didn't really talk about that and and I don't think had an awareness of even things like everybody has mental health. I mean, it sounds such an obvious thing to say now, but I think years ago it was if if you had bad mental health, you had mental health, but if you had good mental health, it wasn't really mental health. I mean, it was quite a bizarre way to look at it, really. But I think in normalising certain aspects of mental health, we do still have an awfully long way to go, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you only need to look at um, the the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial that's going on where the, um, the lawyers involved have tried to use um, mental health kind of diagnoses in a negative way 
um, in that in that case, I think I think there is a huge way to go. I do, I do think um, I feel quite positive about it because I do think, like you said, it's generational. That sounds really morbid to say that <laughs> as, as the other generations pass. You know, it, it's it's just it's it's just that it will be a natural naturally it's just a different mindset and a different way of thinking. From your personal experience, what would you say has been the the most positive steps that you've been able to take to improve your mental health? Um, therapy, um, a, a different range of therapy. That is, you know, talking therapies and reading literature around different mindsets and different ways, different perspectives. And do you think that... The, the fact that you are working constantly, I suppose, to to be able to help yourself and you, you're willing to talk about what you've been through and, and how you're trying to, to help yourself. Do you think that that's the kind of thing that ought to be replicated more freely across society? Absolutely. I, I, I think the only thing with that is it has to be a free will, doesn't it? Because people will only engage with things when they are open-minded enough and willing and want to do that. You know, want, wanting to learn anything. I, I mean, ultimately, you have to have be passionate about it, I suppose, to a, to, to, to a degree. But yeah, I guess it's the way of, of approaching that would be to enthuse people about how it could really hugely enrich their lives and just finally what would you say are the best sort of self-help tools that you've been able to employ that have helped you breathing practices are are fantastic i don't always remember (laughs) to do those um if i've had if i've had a particularly difficult day and um, gratitude practices are also fantastic. Um, again, all of these things are quite difficult to do if you're feeling a bit grumpy and miserable and sour, but they really, really do work and they really do turn, turn your mindset around. Anxiety, I would say, like real kindness, real slowing things down and patience with yourself. And um, I think probably for most people, the thing that compounds any kind of mental health challenge is the voices in our heads that we berate ourselves with. Um, something I'm becoming better at is I because often I think we don't even hear it. And what what I what I mean by that is that we don't even realise that 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 self that negative self talk is going on. And I've become far more aware of when it is and being able to catch myself and to try and muffle that somehow or not listen, you know, and just to just to be just to be really really nice to myself when I need to.
sip of this and a hit at that. I'ma have everything on the rack. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And if you give me everything I want, baby, maybe you could be the one. We can kick it, we can have some fun. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Baby, don't you fight it. Close your eyes and swipe it. Maybe I could be with you. Make it fit like the perfect size. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And if you give me everything I want, you go from none to number one. Yeah, you're so cute. Yeah, you're so fine. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Baby, don't you fight it. Close your eyes and swipe it. Maybe I could be with you. heard from before Kim Petrus and I don't want it all. Fionn talked about therapy and reading and another of the mental health organisations with a wealth of resources to offer us is the Mental Health Foundation. It started back in 1949 and it's been one of the UK's leading mental health charities. Its mission statement says that prevention is at the heart of what it does and it aims to find and address the sources of mental health problems so that people and communities can thrive. 
The Mental Health Foundation is one of a number of mental health organisations and charities in the UK working to support those with mental health difficulties, lobbying to influence government policy and raising funds for improvement to mental health services. And if you want to influence policy as well as resources, the Mental Health Foundation is keen for you to get involved with its forum called OPEN. Thanks to my guests for sharing their stories and for giving us an insight into each of their individual experiences. Well, that's all from me. Until the next time, be kind to yourself and stay safe. You're listening to your award-winning station, Radio Glamorgan. Here for you. All day, every day.